You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. How's everyone doing today? Uh, I'm not convinced, Well Church. How's everyone doing today? Good. Very excited to be here with you guys today. You're going to have to excuse me. My voice is... As you can hear, a little bit uh, scratchy. It's been a, a long few days of, of rapping and, and different things like that and speaking. So you have to forgive me a little bit uh, today, but I'm very excited to be here. We've been on a three-day run. This is our third day. We're in Colton, South Dakota on Friday night. Uh, hey, Rora yesterday and Hastings today, very excited. Uh, Rora went well, and I, and I don't really see Hastings not going uh, as just as well or better. So we really appreciate you. Um, guys, and I appreciate Pastor Joe for having me out, and um, you know, it's crazy because God's really been doing some crazy things um, in this situation a lot lately. He's been having me kind of speak more on, uh, in these, on, these le- on this level, and it's just been, it's been challenging, but it's been fun. It's been fun. So um, before we get going, as you just said, my name is Bobby Bugatti. My real name is Bobby Jones. Um, very excited to be here for you guys. So if you guys are here today, come out to the festival later on. It's going to be free. Uh, it'll be lots of, uh, I think we have like 10 bands on it. Um, I'm, I'm going to be on it. I'm a rapper as well. I might, I might kick something for y'all a little later. I don't know. It depends. I got to save my voice a little bit. So we'll see. But before um, we dig in, let's, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to wake up today. And, and not only to, um, um, to be here, but to, to be in your presence, Father. We just thank you for what you've done in so many lives, in our lives. And Father, we ask that you go before today and you just bring the words that you want me to speak, Father. You, you, and you bring the open ears, the open hearts, Father, you, that, that they're going to receive exactly what you want them to receive, Father. I, I'm nothing special. I'm just a man who loves you and, Father, who's willing to share um, um, the love of you and, and your son, Father, because of what you've done in my life. And so we just appreciate you. And I just ask that everybody under the sound of my voice, Father, take something away that's going to not only set them up for, for their future in you, but, Father, impact other people. So we just we thank you so much for what you're doing. And, and uh, we lift all these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. By a show of hands, how many, how many of you in here have, have ever felt like you're just not wanted? Let's, be, let's get a little honest today. That's probably everybody at some point in time, right? At times we feel like we're, we're just not wanted. And, and, you know, no matter what we do, no one's going to accept us. No matter what we do, no one's going to like us. We can say, we can do whatever we want. But, you know, at the end of the day, we just kind of feel like no one really is needed by us. You know what I mean? And different things like that. I often share a story when I go to speak. There is a church. Off of Gravel Road, on, on, uh, the, the address is 10100 Cedar Island Road. It's off of, uh, on a gravel road off of Highway 370 in Bellevue, Nebraska. And there's a, there's a church there called Calvary Christian Church. And there's a pastor. He's a young, younger pastor. And, and a few years ago, he was an even younger pastor. But his name is Scott Beckenhauer. And there was this young man who moved to Bellevue, Nebraska in 2012. And was just freshly saved, not even two months saved. And he had just moved to Bellevue, Nebraska, and he started going to Calvary Christian Church. And uh, this young man had a passion, uh, but really didn't know how to live this life. And, and he, 
messaged Scott Beckenhauer after a few months of going to his church, had kind of met him, and, and, and Scott Beckenhauer had kind of shown that he was a little fond of this young man, and, and he said, um, you know, Scott, I, I, the, the young man said, I really don't know how to live this life. I really want to know how to live this life, but I don't know how to live it. And, and, and graciously, Pastor Scott Beckenhauer, he messaged back and he said, have you read through the Gospels? Mark, Matthew, John, Luke, have you, have you read through through the Gospels. I said, no, I really haven't, is what the young man said. And, and um, it was crazy because he said, I will personally mentor you. That's what he said to the young man. He said, I will personally mentor you. And this young man lived in Ashton, Nebraska, which is right between Omaha, or Bellevue, and, and, and Lincoln, Nebraska. And this young man would drive 30 minutes every single week to meet with Scott Beckenhauer. And Scott Beckenhauer would buy him lunch. And, and, and Scott Beckenhauer, there was something different about Scott Beckenhauer, though. Scott Beckenhauer would always speak into this young man's life. See, this young man, he, he had a really broken past. This young man had, had made a lot of mistakes in his life and, and really thought that there was no hope for him. This young man thought that his best days were behind him, not ahead of him. That's what this young man thought. And Scott Beckenhauer would always speak life into this young man and say, man, you're this young man, you're exactly who God's created you to be. You're this, you're that. And, and he, this young man really unpacked a lot on Scott Beckenhauer. There's days he would call Scott Beckenhauer and say, I'm an F up. I'm this, I'm that. And Scott Beckenhauer would always tell the young man, no, you're not. You're a child of God. And they would take walks around his church sanctuary. And he would just pray over him, speak into him. And he would show him the love of Jesus. And he met this young man right where he was at. That's where he met him. How many know that God meets us right where we're at? That's where he meets us. And he met this young man. And he saw for this young man what this young man could not see for himself. But more importantly, he saw for this young man what God saw for this young man and how God saw this young man. And this young man is standing in the well church today, this morning. Three and a half years into ministry, I've been all over the world, been to Europe. It was all over the West Coast in San Diego. I'm going to, going to Belize in September to do ministry. It's been a crazy ride. That young man, if you haven't figured out, is me. I was a broken, broken young kid when I gave my life to Christ back in 2012. And I didn't know anything, and I didn't really even think that there was any chance of me being able to do anything wonderful because I thought my best years were behind me. I played college football, as I'll share a little bit today. I played college football at a Division I university, and I'd made some mistakes that had ended that football career for me. And I really just never thought that there was anything good that was going to happen, and, and there was a lot of addiction attached to that. But early on, Scott Beckenhauer showed me the love of Jesus, and I don't know where I would be today because I was in a position where I could not see his love. I couldn't see it. Because I didn't think anything good could happen. How many of you in here, by a show of hands, really don't think anything good can happen to you? If we're being honest today. That's real. I thank you for being honest. The rest of you are lying. <laughs> Telling you. Been there. I want you to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. I'm reading on the ESV translation. Paul writes this as he says, For considering your calling, brothers, 
See, back then, the, the church of Corinth was not a very strong church. It was not a church of, of many high standard people. Um, it was not a church of many people that really would expect, um, no one would really expect anything from them. So it says, for considering your, your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble. Not many of were noble birth. I looked up the definition of noble. There's two of them belonging to a hereditary class with high social or political status. The second was having or showing fine personal qualities or high moral principles and ideals. So, so this is a, a, a church of people would look at them and be like, man, you, you guys are really just off the scale. You know what I mean? You guys really, you guys really don't belong here. You don't belong in the body of Christ. That's, that's really what the world was saying to them. And it says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. <laughs> God is so good. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to bring nothing things that are, so that no human being boasts in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification. That, that's how we got there, right? Through Jesus, God's wisdom drew us near him, right? It's nothing that we did. Like, we can do nothing. It's all what he does, because I don't know about you, but I wasn't seeking him when he found me. I, I wasn't. I was going to work at Wells Fargo Call Center. And I was late to work, and a girl that I had been dating that called herself a Christian left Christian, mu uh, music, Christian rap with me, and I didn't have any music in my car, and I put it in. I'm thinking I'm looking for ideas for beats. <laughs> That's what I thought. But what I didn't know is God was ready to have an encounter. God was ready to have an encounter with Bobby Jones. And so because there's nothing that I did, because I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know I even needed him, if I'm going to be real. Wisdom from God's righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If I had to tag our text today, I would title it, I have nothing to boast about. I have nothing to boast about. I grew up in a small town in Yankton, South Dakota. I grew up in a small town. It was, you know, it was probably a town of 13,000 people at one time, maybe a little more now, 20,000 people. And it was a situation where um, I was the middle child. My identity got hit young because I was always compared to my older brother. He was a good athlete. I had kind of just, you know, and, I, and people expected me to do like he did. He got good grades in the classroom, and we're going through this thing, and I'm being compared. So from a young age, I didn't want to give them the accurate version of me. Because I didn't feel they wanted to know me. Who can relate to that today? Not being comfortable in your own skin at some times. And that's, and that's where I was at. And so I went through this. But as I go get older, there's football. Of course, it starts becoming relevant in my life. And I started playing ball. And for, we played, we had a, Yankton Bucks have a rich tradition of winning state championships. And when you grow up, you always want to be a Yankton Buck. That's just what you want to do. And so as I get older, I get to the varsity team my junior and senior year. We win it my senior year, state champs, and I never got good grades in high school, so I had to go to a junior college. And I thought, you know, it's something I could do. That's definitely something that I could do, you know. 
And so I go to a junior college, but I messed up because I played well and I got good grades at junior college. And be, by doing that, I became the number two junior college defensive end in the country and the number 26 player overall. I had offers from every single major university. My top four schools were Oregon, Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Kansas State. And I decided to sign my letter of intent to Michigan State. And I said, I'm 19 at this time. And I said, man, I'm about to change the game. It's about to be crazy. And we're about to put South Dakota on the map. And all I had to do was go to Michigan State and play two years, and I was going to be an automatic millionaire. I was going to buy my mom that big house that I promised her just a year before. And I was ready to do this thing. And it's crazy. How many of you know your life can change in a year? Like that your life can change in a split second, right? But in a year, from that last year to this year, we think we look at things and we look at the amazing things that have happened or some things that weren't amazing that happened, right? Things can change so instantly. And those two years ultimately changed the course of my life forever. And I made a choice that got me kicked off the team at Michigan State, and I went to UNO and I played one year there. Me and the head coach didn't see eye to eye. I was a little different kid back then. I was very cocky, very self-centered, narcissistic. And very insecure. But I was good at football, and I was fast, and I was big, and I could run, and, and uh, pretty quick hands. And so I really thought that football was something I was going to be doing. But me and the head coach didn't see eye to eye, and the draft came and went, and football ended April 27, 2008. And a game that I had been playing since I was this big went out the window, and my identity went with it. It was all wrapped up in it. What am I going to do now? Honestly, what am I going to do? I have a sociology degree that I can't do anything with. And I'm so just like, th this was it. This was my plan. This, my plan was to play football. Well, that plan had just changed. And I took off running. I moved back to Sioux Falls, started bouncing at a bar, started a really destructive lifestyle habit. And I kept walking in that habit, kept walking in that habit. And it got to a point where it started to become Bobby Jones used to be the Michigan State football player. But now he's a, he's a drunk and people know it. It's starting to get out. People know that he drinks a lot. Family's starting to know it. Making, making a fool of myself at family functions, family get togethers. It was getting bad. And my family got to the point where they, where they stopped inviting me to things. I wouldn't even know about them until afterwards. And so I kept walking through that, and eventually it got to the point where it was just, I was trying to manage my life, but more importantly, I was just trying to end it. How many of you have been there today? Well, you just don't want to be here anymore. You just don't. You don't fit in anywhere. No one wants you. Everyone, you've written, everyone's written you off. You just don't think you can do it. And besides, you start creating cycles. How many know about cycles? Cycles. See, I believe the enemy puts us in cycles early, especially when he sees what God has planned for our lives. Enemy throws us in a cycle at a young age. So he might throw some things at you because if he knows, he knows what God has planned for your life and he doesn't want it to happen. So he'll try to keep you in a cycle for as long as he can until God comes and gets you. Because that, that, that limits his job for a while, and that, that, that's like, oh, we don't have to worry about them. They're, they're going to be in that cycle for a little. And so I believe he puts you 
in a cycle from a young age. I remember I was in a cycle. And so that cycle could be anywhere from molestation. Uh, it could be anywhere from, um, you know, I mean, lots of different things. Neglect, I mean, a lot of different things. Not being loved, I mean, d- d- different things that it could be. But I believe that he puts you in a cycle early to keep you from the things of God. Because, because the minute we get a hold of what God has for us, it's all over, right? The minute we catch wind and we get a, catch a glimpse of what God can do in our lives, he has no more chance. His time is up. I always tell people the biggest mistake the enemy made was letting me see who I was in Christ. That's the biggest mistake he made. Because I was so bold in the world. You don't think I'm going to be bold in the kingdom? You don't think I'm going to be bold in the kingdom? And he let me see. He let me catch it. He shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have done that. Because now he let me see it. And now I want it all. I want everything that God has for me. Amen? And I continued in the destructive lifestyle habit for about, I would say, close to 10 years. And it came down to I was 370 pounds, and I was peeing blood. My liver was going out. My family was pretty much done with me. I was homeless. I didn't have a place to stay. I was crashing on couches. No money. I couldn't hold a job. Every time I, I tried to get a job, I'd always get fired because I would show up late or, you know, come in hungover, and I wouldn't be productive. And so it got to the point where I was living off of people. Like, literally wouldn't work for months and was living off of people. And one night I was drinking until 6 a, or 5 a.m., 6 a.m. right in there, and I heard a voice say to me, April 2011, I heard a voice say, you don't have to live like this anymore. And I didn't know what it was. But I can tell you this, it was the first time that I really admitted and saw that I had a problem with alcohol. And I called my mom and I said, uh, I think I have a drinking problem. She goes, well, we could have told you that. She goes, all you had to do was ask. And I'm bawling, and she's like, well, let's see how you sound tomorrow morning when you wake up and recover from this. And she woke me up the next morning, passed out. Talked to me again, I had the same answer. She said, okay, I'll make some calls. A week and a half later, I was in alcohol treatment for the first time, May 1st, 2011. Went to Keystone Treatment Center in Canton, South Dakota. And I went in there, and I was really gung-ho. I was ready to get sober, and I was ready to do this thing. But the problem is, I was so scared. See, I'd never really lived life sober to that point. I really didn't know what it meant to be responsible. Didn't really know what it meant to handle finances. Didn't know what it meant to have healthy relationships in my life. I had no clue. I survived. I did enough to get by. I, I leased off of people because that's what I had to do to live and eat. And so I didn't know how to do any of that. And I came out completely sober, but I came out completely empty. And I didn't know why. <laughs> and um, I was about six months sober, and there's this girl that came into my life, and she called herself a Christian. And she said that she believes in this guy that they call God. <laughs> I didn't want anything to do with God because I didn't think he wanted anything to do with me. And I was like, you know, that God has never wanted to do anything for me. And I just got to the point where I was honestly like, you know, maybe life works out for some people. And for others, it doesn't work out for. And I'm just the one it doesn't work out for. Like, I can accept that. I can roll the dice on this drinking thing and just see where it ends. I can do that. It's fine. I'll be, I'll be out of anyone's, everyone's way anyways. I won't be a burden anymore. But she called herself a Christian. She loved this guy called God, and, and she would leave things with me. <laughs> She'd leave one-minute Bibles and Christian hip-hop, and she would say she forgot them, and I didn't catch on. <laughs> I said, hey, you left this here. I said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot that. Uh, hey, go ahead. Uh, you can listen to it. I'll read it. When, I'll get it when I get back. Oh, okay, cool. No, no worries. 
and it kept piling up. <laughs> just kept leaving things, right? Just kept leaving things. And I'm not catching on, and she just keeps leaving it and leaving it. <laughs> it's funny to think about looking back on it. And uh, one day I was late to work, February 2012. Never forget it. I was late to work, worked at Wells Fargo Call Center. I hated that job. I could not stand that job. It was terrible. But I was late to work and I didn't have any music in my car and I needed music, so I said, you know what? Maybe I'll find some great ideas for beats. And so I put it in and I started listening. I was like, oh, that's a, that's a dope beat. And then all of a sudden this song came on. There's a guy named Lecrae. A guy named Lecrae. A song called Indwelling Sin. And for those of you that know what the song is about, it's basically him and his sin going back and forth with each other. And his new self in Christ wants to do the right thing, but his sin, of course, doesn't want him to. And he's going up to a gas station being solicited by a prostitute and by a weed man. And then goes into the gas station. The clerk decides to try to sell him some weed or whatever. And that's got my attention from the beginning because, like, okay, what is this? And I started listening. And all of a sudden, he's going back and forth with his self. And his old self is trying to get him to do things. And his new self is trying to. And all of a sudden, there was a line that changed my life forever. And the line was said, his sin comes at him and says, come on, man. You know you missed them old days. And he comes back and says, yeah, you're right, possibly. But after that, I sober up, thinking of Jesus holding up the skin up on the cross while those drunken nights I'm throwing up. And that line, that line caught me. I'm like, whoa, what? And I ran it back. I listened to it again. And the rest of that day, I couldn't get something out of my head. It was me puking over to a toilet, into a toilet and Jesus hanging on the cross next. And it messed me up. And I didn't tell anybody. But I went to work that day. And the next day, I was, I was with my sister and her boyfriend. I didn't have a pot to pee in or wouldn't throw it out of. They were paying for everything. I had my sister's boyfriend, the ex now, bought me a car even. I mean, that's how, that's how low I was. Didn't have anything. And the next day, I was off, and I was home alone. And I said, I'm going to find out who this Lecrae guy is. But what I didn't know was what I was really about to find out who God was. I was about to encounter the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's who I was about to, the Almighty, the one true King. That's who I was about to encounter that day. And I sat and I started researching this Lecrae guy, right? I'm like, man, this is pretty dope. Listen to some music. All of a sudden I heard that song. A little bit later I heard this other song called Praying For You. And after that song, it was this thing where he was a duality thing. He was talking about one person, but at the end of that song, he says, there's something else I'm concealing. See, the one I'm talking about is really me. And right there, I said, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you do. I just know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And that was the day I gave my life to Christ. And I called my ex-girlfriend now. I said, it's my girlfriend. I said, I think I just gave my life to Christ. She said, what? I was like, I think I just gave my life to Christ. And she's like, oh, my God. She starts freaking out. I was like, you're, what? you're weird. Why are you, what? It was embarrassing. Like, she was all excited. Like, I'm like, what? Why are you, what are you doing? And then I went down there that weekend to hang out with her and her friends for, for, for the evening. And they were all, like, come up, give me hugs and cool. I'm like, you guys are so weird. Like, it was, it was uncomfortable. I was like, man, get out of here with that. Well, I didn't know why they were so excited at the time, but now I know. The greatest gift that any of us can receive is the gift of salvation. The need to see fit. The needs for Jesus to see fit to save us. 
I don't know where you're at today. I don't care what you've done. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what your past looks like. I can tell you this. God revealed some things to me today. There's some pain in this room, though. There's some real pain in this room. And there's some of you in here that don't think God can do what he says he can do. I'm going to tell you that right now. I felt that today, this morning in prayer. And then before I was sitting here, before I was going on, I felt some of that. There's some real pain in this room. And there's some of you that think that you're so far gone that God cannot change your circumstance. And I promise you that's a lie. That's a lie from the enemy. Do not believe that. Do not believe that. If you have a messed up past, if you have addiction, if you still struggle with addiction, God can change it. He can take it right away. What is it saying here? (laughs) But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Well, yeah. Why wouldn't he? He gets to show off. That's when he gets to show off. It's nothing we did. So when your family's looking at you from a distance, asking what's going on, Bobby, Bobby's all over the world. What's, what's going on? It's because God's using me. God is not. There's one point I have for you today, and this is what I need you to get. If you're in here and you think this is the case, you got it all together, you're wrong. There's one point that I need you to get. Write this down. God is not interested in a resume. He's not. He's not. He's not interested in a resume. He's looking for a heart. He's looking for someone to say yes to him. Yes, God, you can change my life. Yes, God, you can ravage me with the Holy Spirit. Yes, God, I'll go and do that. That's what he's looking for. He doesn't care about a resume. He doesn't care what you haven't done in your life. What you have, he doesn't care about any of that. Who you are, what family you come, how much money you come from, that doesn't matter to him. What does it say in the Bible? That it's going to be hard for the rich to get into, the, get into heaven, right? Because they got to let go of something that they don't want to let go of. He's not, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what, you're, what you've been through. It doesn't matter. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore we are in Christ. I stood in that verse for two years. Therefore, since you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has, be, has become. Behold the new. I stood in that verse for two years because I didn't believe and I didn't trust that God was who he said he was. And I finally got to a point where I said, because I went through another bout. That story ends with me in Bellevue, Nebraska, after two years of being sober, running, with the, running in the lane that I was trying to run in, didn't know my identity in Christ. I'm telling you today, if you have to know your identity in Christ if you want to walk this thing out. You have to. You can't do it without that. Our identity in Christ is big because I believe that's why the enemy comes after new believers so hard. If you look at in the Paul's, Paul's when he was very scared for new believers because he didn't know if trial hit, if they'd run. And so new believers, I believe that it's, you've got a crucial time when you first give your life to Christ because that's when you really need to be seeking your identity in him because the enemy can get to that. He can get to your identity, and, if he can, and, and that throws you off. And it, it takes some time. It took me some time. But you have to know your identity in Christ. You have to know 
who he is. So, you know, we get, we get in this situation where we first give our lives to Christ and we, we don't know who we are in Christ. But through the process of sanctification is where we know. So how many of you know it's a process? Like you're not going to get there over. You're not going to get there overnight. Like it won't happen overnight. Like it won't. Like it's going to take some time. The process of sanctification. But if you keep walking it out, that same sin that you keep struggling with, struggle, struggle and stumble forward. Don't give up on it. And I, after two years of being sober and walking with, it wasn't quite two years when I was walking with the Lord, but I fell back into the alcohol again. 2013. I fell back into it. How am I doing on time? Am I good? Fell back into it in 2013. August 26, 2013. I can tell you everything about that day. There's nothing I don't remember about that day because that day I lost my girlfriend, my sobriety, and my job. And my family stopped talking to me. And that, in, in within an hour. I remember where I bought it, what time I bought it, what I drank, what I mixed it with. How long I stared at it before I picked it up. Because I said, if you do this, Bobby, there's no turning back from it. You're about to go on another ride, probably, again. And that, that, that started something for about a year and a half. Went on another long run for a year and a half, and this time it was bad. It got bad. And I had just given my life to Christ, and I didn't understand. I was so confused. I was like, God, what are we, what are we doing here? I just gave you my life. And now I'm back here. I'm, I'm, I'm now, I, w- I just got out of this addiction for two years, and now I'm back in it? And it's stronger than ever? Well, when you sweep the house clean, seven come back stronger. Addiction is a terrible, terrible demon. It's something that will try to, it will, I mean, it will, it's ruined people, obviously, as you know. It's killed people still killing people, doesn't discriminate. I've been in treatment with millionaires, millionaires. I've been in treatment with millionaires. Been in treatment with the lowest of low, that society would deem the lowest of low. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter who, white people, black people, doesn't matter. Asian doesn't matter. Discrimination, addiction does not discriminate. And I was so confused, I was like, what, what are we doing? And I went on this run. And in 2014, I attempted suicide in front of a good friend who had seen a lot of this. So had seen a lot of it and put, put him through a lot with it. And I ended up in jail that night in a mental home. And I got out the next day and I said, <laughs> I said, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but either you're going to come and get me or Satan's going to take me out. You let me know, but I'm right here. And a few months later, December 29th, 2014, I was a day of drinking. I got done with drinking at the end of the night, and I needed to ride home. I was living with my sister. I didn't have a car. My parents were up there. Me and my mom have not seen eye to eye for a lot of years leading up to this point because of my addiction and different things. My mom, I'm really convinced that she, um, I'll just say, strongly, strongly disliked me. I I really am convinced that. There's nothing wrong with her um, as far as with that, that, that feeling. But that's what I feel. Um, she really strongly, strongly disliked me. And, and that night, I had no other choice. I had to call her. And I said, Mom, can you come and get me? And she asked me where I was at without any fuss. And I said, I'm here. And she came and got me. And she didn't say anything. I was like, man, this is weird. 
because she's about to let me have it. I said, but when you get the car, Jones, like, she's, she's going she's gonna to let you have it, dude. Like, just prepare yourself. Prepare yourself, and she's going to let you have it because she, she has to this point uh, every time. And I got in the car, and I beat her to the punch. I said, Mom, I'll never know why this addiction or why this stuff gets the best of me every time. And she puts her hand on my leg. She looks at me, and she says, maybe it's time for treatment again. I said, yeah, I think so. And I went home, and I, my dad was sitting on the couch, and my, my mom was sitting on a chair, and, and uh, I went and changed, and I sat next to my mom, and, and I didn't get two words out, and I just broke. And I'm bawling. And now this is 10 years of an alcohol addiction that my, that my mom has never, ever, ever really consoled me in. And all she did was grab me and held me. That's all. And that was the first time she had ever done that, and I could feel God in the room with us. I could feel God in the room with us. And I'm just, and my mom later admitted, she goes, I never seen Bobby like that. And it broke my heart. But she just sat there and she just, I was a boy at the time in need of a mommy. Like if I'm being real. It was, it was a lot of that absence in that one moment that, that, that I needed for a lot of years. And I got it that night. And I could feel God. And I went back to treatment January 2nd, 2015. I got on my knees. I said, God, I'm done doing this my way. We have to do this your way. And ever since then, he's put me on a path. Last three and a half years, I've been all over. He's put me in situations to be able to share my story, to be able to speak life into, into this young generation, to be able to come into situations like this and share the power of God and what he's done. I am I'm no longer addicted to alcohol. I'm three and a half years sober, which is amazing. It's not all that long, but, but it's, it's, it feels great, right? And through this process of sanctification, he's given me a great body of, of believers at a church in Sioux Falls, great leadership, discipleship, accountability. It's been phenomenal. A lot of healing has taken place in my life from the voids that I've needed, the codependency that I've had with other people back in the day, from, from I mean, just a lot of different things that I've dealt with, things I walk with. And, and now it's crazy because... People that used to tell me to never talk to them again. You're a drunk. You're a failure. You can never come around here now coming to me for advice. That's what God will do. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've been addicted to. I'm here to tell you today, the well church, I'm here to tell you that never. it doesn't matter how far gone you are. It doesn't matter how far gone you think you are. God will take every single bit of everything you've been through, and he will turn it and twist it and use it. And he will throw it right back in the enemy's face. Because what the enemy meant to harm you, God is going to take and turn it around for good. And he's going to show off with it because he's going to get all the glory at the end of the day, not us. This, nothing I'm doing, I'm not special. I'm not a pastor. I'm just a man of God who loves, who loves him and wants to share him. That's it. I don't have credentials, none of that. I've experienced and I have a testimony that he's given to me. Revelation 12, 11, we overcome by the blood, of lamb, the blood of the lamb and the power of testimony. For we did not love ourselves too much, so we were afraid to die. Everything that I do, it honors and glorifies him. Because I shouldn't be here. Most of us shouldn't be in this space with him, if we're being honest today. Most of us shouldn't be able to say, Abba, Father. But he saw fit to encounter us. He saw fit to say, nah, I got a bigger plan for you, son. 
I'm going to use all that stuff, that brokenness, those relationships that, that you at one point in time you tore and you stretched. I'm going to use that. And I'm going to bring better ones into your life. It's crazy the things that we go through that prepare us for the things that will come in the future and the things that he'll bring to us to help people deal with. And it's nothing that we do. It's everything that he does today. So understand that no matter how far, how far away you are from him, we all have gifts that are placed inside of us. And if you'll say yes to him, and if you'll believe what he says is true, I promise you he will take you places that you would never, both spiritually and physically, that you have never imagined you would go. He will put you in front of people that you never thought you'd be in front of. It's amazing what he does. And we know now that every void that we have in our life that we try to once fill with alcohol, with meth, with women, with men, with whatever, whatever way we try to fill it with can only be filled by him and his love. I heard a quote one time, and this wrecked me. If we only knew the depths of his love, we would find our lives deeply changed. I want to leave you encouraged today. Well, I want to say, take this today. Run with it. I'm sensing we need to go deeper in here. We need to go deeper. He wants you guys to go deeper. It's surfacy right now. Pastor, am I about right? Is it, is it very surfacy? Is, is it very surfacy? I, no, I want to know. Is it surfacy? I'm, I'm saying in your church. If I'm wrong, tell me. I'm sensing that, it's very, that we're at a very basic surface level with God. That's, I'm feeling that. He wants you to go deeper because there's more. There's more for you. There's more for you. And stop fighting the enemy with physical weapons. You have to fight him with spiritual tools. You have to, because it won't work if you don't. Where's your prayer words in your corner? People that are committed to praying for you, you have to have those people. The accountability, the discipleship, it has to happen. You guys are supposed to go deeper here. I'm feeling that. You guys have to go deeper with him. You will not get everything that he wants for you if you don't go deeper. So let's, let's go deeper. So I want you to, real quick, here's what I want to do. I'm going to change up. Let me bring the worship team back up real quick. Can we do that? Can we do that? It's time to do that real quick. I'm going to do something different today. I'm feeling I need to do this, Pastor. You guys know King of My Heart? King of My Heart? Do you know it? Okay. Um, Reckless Love? You got to know that. Everyone knows that. <laughs> I mean, every church in America knows Reckless Love. <laughs> you have music? Okay, what do you have? <laughs> I'm trying to do something here. Redemption song? Yeah, we have Redemption song. Yeah, let's do that. 
No, 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 uh, no longer slaves. Let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah, 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 let's do that. I'm not going to ask much from you today. If you, I will tell you this. If you have not given your life to Christ and you feel that you want to, because we know, right, if you've, if you've been, you, if you're at the end of yourself, you've tried all the drugs, you've tried all the men, you've tried all the women, you've tried every single thing that doesn't satisfy, you, can, you guys can start. You've tried every single thing that doesn't satisfy. And you know that God has more for you and he wants everything for you. And when you give your life to him, he will create something new in you. He will replace everything that you've been through in your life. He will replace it with his love, with his desires, with his will. And we all know that his will is way better than our will. So if you have not given your life to Christ, I need you to be bold today. This isn't a, this isn't a secret thing. Jesus never told us to say, I'll give your life to me and then just don't talk about it. He never said that. What did he say? He said, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He told us to go. Proclaim it. See, Christians today, we do a good job of proclaiming it, but we don't do a good job of walking it out. That's why the world doesn't want it. Are you going to be perfect? Absolutely not. No. I make mistakes every day. But it's through his blood and what he did on the cross that makes me right with him. You know we're in right standing with him? You know that? Like, it says that we're made right because of what he did. Do we believe that, though? We're made right. So what I want you to do, if you've never given your life to Christ and you want to, just raise your hand for now. If you've never given your life to Christ, raise your hand and you want to. And maybe some of you, have, you think you've given your life to Christ, but you maybe didn't. Does your life resemble a mark of Christ? Does it, does it, does it resemble that? But what I want to do is today... We got communion after this. If you've given your life to Christ and you want to go deeper and you want to commit to going deeper with him, I want you to come to the altar and get on your knees right now. If you want to commit to going deeper, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Just commit to going deeper. Go ahead. I'm going to be talking while you guys are singing, so let's go. We are no longer afraid to fear. We no longer live under the dominion of the enemy. It's time the body of Christ starts recognizing who we are in Jesus. If we just walk in our authority, I promise you, I promise you we would impact our world in a way that we never thought we could. Father, I thank you for this fellowship. I thank you for this community, Father. Father, I believe that this community, of this, 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 this church is going to grow deeper. Father, I thank you for what you're doing here. Father, I believe that this is going to be a big impact in this community of Hastings. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing. We come against, we come against the tactics of the enemy right now. We bind that in Jesus' name. 
Father, we ask that you you just go with us, Father. That's what it says in your word. It says you'll go, you'll be with us wherever we go. It says you'll never leave. Pastor said it. He read today in Hebrews, you'll never leave us or forsake us, Father. Help us realize in this in the midst of trial that you're still here. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing all over the place. Father, I ask that you do a work in this, in this congregation today. Everyone in here under the sound of my voice, I ask that you pierce hearts. Holy Spirit, move. If there's convicting that needs to be done, convict. Let us get out of your way. It's not about our way, it's about your way. Thank you so much for what you're doing. God bless you, sister. Boldness. I love the boldness. It's time we stop. We stop being quiet. The world wants us silent. It's time we stop doing that. We've been silent long enough. It's time to start proclaiming. Because there's people out here dying every single day. And we're watching them do it. Around and watch them die anymore, man. It's crazy. We'll send missionaries across the country, but we won't talk to our neighbors. We'll send missionaries across the world, but we won't talk to our neighbors that sing our pews at work because we're prideful. I'm not here to condemn you today. I'm just here to say God wants more. God loves y'all. It's time for the body to start being the body. today your children of God let's sing that together I want everyone to sing I am a child of God you can play it doesn't matter what you want to do but I want everybody to be singing that what does that mean understand what that means I am a child of everybody let's go I am a child of God I am a child of God. Let me hear y'all sing. Let's go. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Thank you, Holy One. Father, we just thank you today for this, for, for, for what you did here. Father, we just thank you for the direction that you're taking us. Father, we just want to be in your presence. Father, we just want to obey. Father, we just ask that you bring us people that are going to help us run in the lane that you want us to run in. 
Father, we ask that you bring understanding to the word, Father. We understand that we ask that you bring um, um, relationships that will, that will bond together forever, Father, that will encourage each other to live for you. So, Father, we thank you for what you're doing here at the Well Church. And we ask that going forward, Father, that this be a ministry that is always, always going to lift up your name. And never going to be what human, human man, what man can do, but only what you can do through the Holy Spirit, Father. So we just thank you for Pastor and his congregation and, and, and what the work that's being done here. And Father, we just ask that you would be all over it. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you, y'all. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.